0: Hello everyone. my name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to this podcast of Mercy Unbound. Today, I'm the guest. I'm going to be giving a talk on abortion and slavery. and question, are they two apples that fell from the same tree? I look at the historical uh, Supreme Court decisions, the role of Margaret Sanger, and the arguments that the slaveholders used and compare and contrast that to the ones that the pro-abortionists use today. I hope you enjoy the show. Please share it, subscribe, and have a wonderful day. God bless. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Brian Thatcher, and welcome to Mercy Unbound. It's a series that aims to provide hope and avenue for healing, and one that will help you understand and then live the great mercy of God. Uh, Today's show is going to be a little different. Normally, I have a guest on, but I decided to... um, share with you some thoughts I've been studying and reviewing and reading and found some uh, interesting correlations. And I wanted to share with you today some thoughts on abortion and slavery. And the title is Abortion and Slavery, Two Apples That Fell from the Same Tree. Uh, I read a book recently by Olivia Murray out in California called Abortion v. Slavery, The Parallels Between Two National Sins. Very short book. Uh, She was a history major in college. Uh, She's the founder of Life for Unborn Children, and I got this book on um, Amazon, uh, but the Life for Unborn Children website is lucusa.org, and I would suggest that you get this book very easy reading, but she brings up many points that I have heard over the years, but no one had ever synthesized them into a comparison of abortion and slavery, because it's interesting when you get into this, you realize that the same argument that they used to say abortions fine and ethical and moral and legal, and was the same ones they used for slavery. Now, admittedly, women who find themselves pregnant may be in a very difficult position. I'm not here to argue that or share that, but, and they may be pushed into an abortion because their boyfriend says they're going to break up with them if they don't. The mom or grandma may push them and say, get in the car, we're going down to the clinic, or they may feel they may not be ready for another child or to be a mother. But I think some have such a, little understanding of human development and life and believe the societal notion that this growing baby inside their womb isn't really a human being, but rather a piece of tissue or a glob of cells. Now, again, it's not an easy decision, and I'm not here to judge that, but there are also the reality is there are many physical, emotional, psychological and spiritual complications from abortion that linger for years. I have seen that with many women, uh, some even in my own family. So again, Olivia's book, Abortion Versus Slavery, The Parallels Between Two National Sins, got my mind going. Um, As a physician, one of my favorite courses in medical school years ago was embryology, where we studied the development of newly conceived the newly conceived child from conception to birth. And I was always amazed and thought to myself, how does this cell know to migrate this way and develop into a brain? And these cells go this way and develop into a liver. And how do these tissues know when to stop growing? The, the organ is big enough. Um, and, and yet they communicate with each other. And um, My son recently graduated from college and a while back he told me one of his professors was doing research on cardiac cells and he had told the students that if he put one heart tissue cell in a petri dish it just sat there but if he put another heart cell right next to it both began beating. It was as if they were communicating with each other and I I thought that was so fascinating. So what I'd like to get into today is this question, are slavery and abortion are just two apples that fell from the same tree? We often hear that history repeats itself. When a society forms a set of rules or or beliefs, uh, as the South did with slavery, it formulates a set of arguments to justify that belief. But I'd like to uh, quote historian Sidney Harris, years ago said, history repeats itself, but in such cunning disguise that we never detect the resemblance until the damage is done. So again, let's look back 100 plus years ago and think about slavery. And now we look and say, how could those people think that this was moral and ethical and that these weren't human beings, and how could they treat people like this? What were they thinking? And yet, we have to say these people back then were good people. They were not evil people. Most of them, they they were good people, just doing like we're trying to do today, raise a family, just get by. So how could they do such a thing? So I have to wonder if 100 years from now, society's not going to say the same thing. What were those people thinking? Killing their own offspring. How could they do such a thing? So here's some points I want to go through today. The Dred Scott and Roe v. Wade decisions. Who was Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood? And what effect did her work have on the African-American community? Talk a little bit about Supreme Court. And again, these arguments are very interesting because we hear back in slavery that they said, hey, this is my property. It's my right to control this human being. Raises the question, doesn't the human being developing in the womb have any human rights? If it's a human right issue, we should be talking about the infant. Society will try to defend itself by dehumanizing the victim I remember growing up, we heard the N word. We heard, my uncle used to call me Sambo. Remember, used to see pictures of African-Americans. They were descended from apes and they were less intelligent. They were an inferior species and on and on it went. And some people said, hey, these slaves were lucky to be slaves because they were brought from the uncivilized world of Africa. And um, I've also seen signs that said, hey, the human being, In the womb is nothing but a parasite. What about the economic impact? That was another big argument. Oh my gosh, the world was going to collapse. The economy was going to collapse because if the slaves were set free, you'd have this massive unemployment. Uh, There would be economic collapse. Who was going to work the fields? And again, it was a societal good. And now it's a societal good because population control, climate change. But do the ends really justify the means? Years ago, as a medical student, I heard the argument that, well, abortion is really an act of mercy. We're, We're killing the unborn, but, you know, many of these would be unwanted and they might be abused. People even use scripture now and back then. Another argument is, while it's a losing battle, you can't legislate morality. So why even set the bar? I heard uh, entertainer actress Whoopi Goldberg say recently that abortion is must be okay because God gave us a right to choose. Well, that to me is an illogical statement because we have a free will. We have the right to choose, but we can also choose to get drunk and get, get in a vehicle and drive. That doesn't make it okay. Let's talk a little bit about the conditions in the uh, antebellum or before the Civil War South. Now in 1830, slavery was obviously primarily in the South. African Americans worked on small farms, some large plantations, they worked in cities and towns, inside homes, in the fields, and in industry and transportation. Slaves were considered property as if they were a horse or a pig, just because they were black. And that yoke around their neck was enforced by violence, whether it was actual or threatened. The relationships between the slave owner and the uh, slave varied from compassionate to contemptuous. But the slave could never forget his status. And they were always in fear of being sold and their loved ones separated. Imagine if you had a family today and your children and tomorrow you could be sold and shipped out and never see them again. 75%, the statistics said, of the whites did not own slaves. Of those who did, nearly 90% owned 20 or less. Interestingly, which is a fact I did not know was that the cotton gin actually led to increased slavery because that was the leading cash crop then, and they worked in the fields. But among the slaves, the dietary conditions were poor and infant mortality very high. And again, there was that constant threat of the sale, which was a terrible situation and always on the minds of the slaves. Talked about a slave code set of laws. Slaves were property, not humans, and were treated as such. Slaves could not testify in court against a white man They could not make contracts. They could not leave the plantation without permission. They could not even strike a white in self-defense, gather without a white being present, and the killing of a slave was almost never regarded as murder. How crazy that seems. And interestingly, though, if a drunk driver hits a pregnant woman and the fetus dies, that person may be charged with murder. But yet others wanna justify the mother having the right to kill her baby that may be just seconds away, totally formed, totally ready to come out. It's able to survive, it's viable, kill it right at the few seconds before birth. So once we get on this slippery slope, you see, the envelope keeps getting pushed and pushed and pushed. let's talk about some of the Southern viewpoints on slavery, see if this sounds familiar. Again, economics, it was a benefit. The sudden end to the slave trade would have a profound and severely detrimental economic impact on the South and who would work the fields. It would lead to widespread unemployment and chaos if all the slaves were freed. People said, well, slavery, has existed all throughout history and found in the Bible. It was the natural state of mankind. Look at the Greeks and the Romans, for example. And then also, Abraham had slaves. The Ten Commandments speak of, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant. Paul returned a runaway slave, Philemon, to his master. And although slavery was widespread throughout the Roman Empire, Jesus never spoke out against it, so it must be okay. Others said slavery was divine and it brought Christianity to the heathens from across the ocean, these uncivilized people. Some wrote that the slaves should be grateful as the black race attained a condition that was much more civilized and improved than where they came from. Others said blacks were an inferior race, descending from monkeys in Africa, Derogatory terms we talk about, we used to describe them. They were lucky to be working as slaves for superior whites and were an inferior species, not worthy of the rights defined in the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution. What actually was the Dred Scott decision? In 1846, a slave named Dred Scott and his wife Harriet sued for their freedom in a St. Louis court. They claimed that they were free because they had resided in a free territory where slavery was prohibited. The Scots were held bondage for extended periods in a free territory and then were returned back to a slave state. They said, well, we lived in a free state, so we're free. It became an 11-year struggle that ended up in the Supreme Court. By the time it reached the high court, Slavery had become the single most explosive issue in the nation. On March 6, 1857, Chief Justice Roger Taney read the majority opinion. It stated that the enslaved people were not citizens of the United States and therefore could not expect any protection from the federal government or the courts. The opinion also stated that Congress had no authority to ban slavery from a federal territory. The decision moved the nation a step closer to civil war. But can a Supreme Court change a decision made years earlier? Some would say you hear, oh, it's never been done. Roe v. Wade being reversed is unconstitutional. How can they do such a thing? The decision of Scott versus Sanford is considered by many legal scholars as the worst ever rendered by the Supreme Court. It was overturned by the 13th and 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which abolished slavery and declared all those born in the United States as citizens. So let's look at abortion in these same arguments. Economics. Some argue that abortion is a useful and effective tool for population control. Over 1 million babies are aborted each year, and some argue abortion is needed to keep the population down to avoid putting more strain on the healthcare system and to avoid economic collapse and massive unemployment. Doesn't that sound like the same argument the slave owners used? The Bible was used to justify having slaves and to justify abortion. Senator Ralph Warnock, Reverend Warnock from Georgia, believes his minister, his views as a minister and pro-choice square up, and he said, I think that human agency and freedom is consistent with my view as a minister, but freedom for whom? The Declaration of Independence says that all men are created equal, and all are endowed with the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How can one achieve happiness if they're not alive? And if a fetus is not alive and a human, What is it? What grows that is not alive? If it's not alive and human, what is it? Moral law, this is not a religious issue. It's not a Catholic issue. It's a human rights issue. And moral law dictates that we do not kill. And again, yes, we can bring in the 10 commandments which says thou shalt not kill. Just as a slaveholder said a black man is not a citizen and felt to be subhuman, the same argument is said about the infant developing in the womb. They change the verbiage. Words matter. It's not, it's not a human, it's just a blob of cells. It's not really human, it has no rights. I've seen the signs again. This is just a parasite. It should be discarded. And again, some argue pro-abortionists, this is a human rights issue. It's the right of the women. It's my property. It's my body. I would agree that it's a human rights issue. Activists are claiming that we are out and need to protect things like the turtle eggs, other animals that may be in danger. But we discard our own humans in the womb. It's great, some are out feeding the homeless, arguing for rights of one group of citizens for another. But we fail to realize that all human lives matter. And that includes the unborn, the mentally, the physically challenged, and the frail elderly. It is not about picking sides and choosing like we're walking down a cafeteria line. We are currently experiencing a significant uptick in murders and violent crimes and a gross disrespect for each other. And we think that eliminating the guns is gonna solve the problem. But I wonder if it's really a problem of respecting life itself. A few years ago, I read an article, I believe it was from the Netherlands or Belgium that said they had eliminated Down syndrome. They had cured Down syndrome. I thought cured down syndrome I didn't hear about that so I read the article further and the government agency said well we have no down syndrome in our country because when we detect a downs baby in the womb he's aborted is that really a cure is that how we're going to cure Alzheimer's or heart disease or cancer And we're getting worse and worse and politicians and academicians are promoting killing the baby right at the moment of birth or even after. Some say a mother should have up to a month or so to determine if she still wants the baby. Just a few words on Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is the country's largest, probably the world's, but the largest provider of abortions. Margaret Sanger, the founder, was a believer in eugenics. What's eugenics? You probably remember the word from World War II. But eugenics is the study of how to arrange reproduction in a human population so as to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics that are regarded as desirable. It was developed largely as concept by Sir Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race. Eugenics was increasingly discredited as unscientific and racially biased during the 20th century, especially after its adoption of its doctrines by the Nazis in order to eliminate the Jews and their treatment of disabled people and other minorities. Remember Dr. Mengele and the Nazis were trying to create the perfect race, the blonde, muscular, strong, blue-eyed German. Sanger advanced a project called the Negro Project and wrote in her autobiography about speaking to a Ku Klux Klan group. She advocated for eugenics approach to breeding for the gradual suppression, elimination and eventual extinction of defective stocks. Those human weeds, which threaten the blooming of the finest flowers of American civilization. Another one of her quotes, the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. And no more children should be born when the parents, though healthy themselves, find their children are physically or mentally defective. It's a known fact that abortion centers are placed near low-income areas. Culture icon Kanye West once said, abortion vendors have been placed inside cities by white supremacists to do the devil's work. In New York City, minorities have truly bought into the abortion culture, and more African American babies now are aborted than born alive. Recently, I read a quote, Vice President Kamala Harris flipped the verbiage around and recently compared this recent Supreme Court ruling overturning a constitutional right to abortion to America's history of slavery saying, our country has a history of claiming ownership over human bodies amazing how words get twisted yet in abortion women claim rights over another human body as well yes they're similar in both slavery and abortion claim rights over another human's body and both are morally and intrinsically wrong so you really think the african-american leaders as abortion is in some ways decimated the African-American population would be against abortion. Looking at Margaret Sanger and her history of playing Parenthood and eugenics. And yet they are the ones that have really bought into this program hook, line, and sinker. Again, let's look at the similar arguments. It's my property. It's my choice. It's my right. We need to de- they dehumanize the victim. Again, all the derogatory things, the pictures from years ago, I remember, descendants from eight, inferior mentally. And now the baby's just a clump of cells and a parasite. The economic impact oh, the world will be a much better place, justifying it. It's an act of compassion and mercy. We've saved the slaves from degenerate Africa and brought it to a, people to a much more civilized society. an abortion is an act of mercy, as the unwanted baby may grow up and be abused. Oh, it's scriptural-based. God wants, yet both go against everything that a moral society practices. Others say it's a losing battle. You can't legislate morality. God gave us a right to choose, so it must be okay. We cannot eliminate the killing, the rapes, the robberies and other crimes, but that doesn't mean we promote them and support them. God does not impose his will on us, but we must choose between good and evil. It doesn't mean evil is good. And although scripture, it does say it quite well, when it speaks of the kingdom of heaven, it looks upside down to people in a world. The world is upside down right now. But if you want to be a a disciple, you have to turn things upside down in your life. God gives us challenging teachings on what it means to follow Him. It isn't easy. Life as a child of God comes at a cost. What humans celebrate here on earth is often of little value in the eternal kingdom. We must continue to speak truth, but always in love. For God is love. Martin Luther King said that hatred cannot drive out hatred, only love can. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can. We must be the light of the world and not let this light be hidden under a bushel basket. We need to let these mothers know that their love, we must Work harder as a society, support these women in this difficult road. Raising children is not easy, you know that. And again, I'd like to close with the quote of Sidney Harris. History repeats itself, but in such cunning disguise that we never detect the resemblance until the damage is done. As a young man, I remember a quote from the late Senator Hubert Humphrey He's 1960 Democratic presidential candidate. He spoke about the treatment as to how the government and the people as a society are evaluated based on how they treat the weakest members in a society. This growing infant is to find protection in the womb. They're the weakest, most vulnerable members of society. And what he said, the moral test of government is how that government treats those who are in the dawn of life. The children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, those who are in the shadows of life, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. The Catholic Church with all its warts and faults and human members has always understood the sanctity of human life and fought against killing the most vulnerable and weakest members of society on either end of the spectrum. For that, I am forever grateful. So I hope in some ways I've helped you understand how humans twist truths to defend positions that are indefensible. The ends never justify the means. Pro-abortions are using many of the same arguments that the slave owners did. Let us pray for a society that treats all humans from conception to natural death with respect and love and kindness, regardless of their color, their age, their physical or mental capabilities, or social status. God bless. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel for the video portion. The podcast can be heard at anchor.fm slash Thatcher. T-H-A-T-C-H-E-R, and on all the major podcast forums. I would love to speak at your church or conference, and please consider supporting our efforts to spread the truth to a hurting world. Thank you again, and for more information, go to the website at drbryanthatcher.com.